Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today we are joined by Sulem Valji, who covers the Flames for TSN. Thanks so much, Sulem, for taking the time and, and coming on, especially on uh, on the second day of the draft. So we we really appreciate it here, and uh, hopefully uh, your draft week's been going well. It's not like the Flames haven't been in the news. So uh, thanks so much again <laughs> for, for taking the time. Yeah, thanks a lot. You've had a lot of great guests, and I'm honored to be included in that list here. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. And I first want to ask you a little bit about your career for you. So when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in sports journalism and how much, I know you talked before about the 06 Oilers cup run, how much did that impact your kind of pursuit of of, of sports journalism? Uh, So I grew up in Edmonton and uh, I, I think I knew when I was a kid that I really wanted to to be a journalist, I, I always thought I would be a newspaper writer. That was sort of my my um, my initial thought as a kid. And in Edmonton, we have a few really great ones like Jim Matheson and, and Terry Jones and Rob Tichkowski, whose work I read and consumed religiously. Uh, and and then, you know, as I got older, uh, your, your, your reality sets in a little bit and you're kind of wondering how to pursue that. And being in a family where there are a lot of doctors, I don't think they were too too enthusiastic about my career plans. And initially, um, initially, so when I was eighteen, I was I really wanted to do sports journalism. But you're also very realistic and maybe too um, maybe a little bit pessimistic. So I was going to become a high school teacher. I was studying to to at McEwen College University in Edmonton to. Uh, teach high school social studies um, and and I was sort of freelancing on the side for the hockey writers and a couple of other places and I sort of did both at the same time and then um, I was uh, there's like a world junior champ uh, camp in Edmonton uh, in 20, 2011 um, and I met Mike Babcock there wow. and he basically gave me a pep talk uh, if wow. you know you want to pursue this as a career you should do it right like and he actually gave me a really good roadmap and this is uh in 2011 I, I actually a couple a few weeks prior I'd actually paid my own way to the NHL draft and wow. wanted to to see how that worked it was in Minnesota it was the draft that Nugent Hopkins got chosen for mm-hmm. first overall it was incredible to network and everything I don't think it was my first time I'd ever flown internationally on my own so that was really neat so that draft experience, and and I was eighteen. Uh, I might have been yeah eighteen at the time. Wow. So that draft experience plus a couple of months later meeting Mike Babcock and him being really gracious and uh, generous with his time that really kind of set forth the the path of mine that I probably should pursue this because I'm passionate about it and I will probably regret not giving it an honest shot. Um, and you know what, the 06 run was really cool just because you saw. Um, like Pisani's goal for me is the mm-hmm. highlight of that shorthanded in overtime and Bob Cole with the call there. But that was a really kind of interesting moment and one I'll never forget. And it kind of showed how sports can bring a lot of different people together. But, you know, and, uh, you know, the new coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, I know he's polarizing and, and I understand that. But for me, I probably wouldn't be here today with you, Alex, if not for him taking the time and talking to me uh, as a kid back in 2011. So that plus the draft kind of set me on my way. And then um, I continued. I, I was like already enrolled for the next year at McEwen studying education. So I did that. And then um, for a couple of different reasons, I was like, I have to get out of Alberta. And, and the following summer, I did a three month exchange in Quebec and lived in Montreal, which was 
incredible and I always wanted to live abroad. So I uh, ended up teaching English and having a journalism internship in Paris for a few months, which was pretty interesting and memorable. And at the time I didn't have a degree. So I applied to Concordia University in Montreal and got in. And in 2014, I started there. And that was that's a phenomenal place to study and be a young journalist and graduated in 2017. And that was where my career started. So I kind of pestered TSN into giving me like a freelance stats role um, right out of school. And that was a lot of fun. And I contributed to the New York Times and ESPN and Montreal Gazette. I lived that kind of contract freelance life and worked in PR a lot of the time to pay the bills. And then when this job came up in 2020, TSN reached out and basically asked me if I wanted to be interviewed for it. And I was initially shocked that they thought me, but after that wore off, I uh, interviewed and here we are three years later. So I, I want to go just back a little bit to Mike Babcock because I think that's so fascinating. What, how did you meet him? And, and maybe you set a roadmap of kind of to, for your career, maybe explain what he told you. Yeah. So Alex, I met him at, there's a world junior development camp in Edmonton. It was on my birthday too, actually. I think that oh, was wow. my 19th birthday. So it was, it was memorable for a few different reasons. And um, so it was, uh, it would have been at like the old Rexall place. And I just like went up to him. I think he was coaching Detroit at the time and uh, just said a quick hello. And we ended up talking for like 20 minutes. And wow. uh, he, he said, you know, if this is something you really want to do, then you should, you should maybe not study education like you should devote yourself to this and you're young and you you should you should kind of you know this is your dream so go for it and the practical stuff he told me was just to get a way in any way possible and it you know um so for me that he said like even if it's being the school mascot at your university like get a foot in the door try to be a broadcaster at McEwen you know make sure that you're you're, you know, just getting a foot in the door, like get any way in and then sort of work your way up and it'll take time, but, but just get any way in, whether it's not something you maybe see yourself doing, just make sure that you, you kind of, you're in the arena or you're in, you reach out to your school and, and ask if you can help out in any way. And I did that. And McEwen really was a great place to work for a couple of years. I got to broadcast and I got to be a mascot and PA announcer. I had two really great bosses there. Um, but yeah, it was Mike Babcock and he kind of ignited something between my ears and I'll always be grateful to him for that. That's that's incredible. What a what a cool story. And and with that, you, you mentioned just writing your wrote for the New York Times, obviously now at TSN, but I want to ask you a little bit about your writing process. Like how how do you approach it? I know you, you've talked about how kind of meticulous you are, but just maybe give us a little bit of an insight on, on how you write um, in, in general. Uh, that's a good question. I think before, like, it was a lot more instinctual where, you know, it just kind of flowed out and then you do your, you know, you just kind of write and then do your grammar checks and everything at the end. Um, that was how I approached it for a long time. And then um, in university, I kind of learned about structure and like now I have a lot of like story maps where you're sort of, I think stories are either um, circles or they're lines. So mm -hmm. they either lead you back to the same place that you uh, started or they lead you in a completely different direction. So my first question is, is, you know, if I'm doing a story, is this sort of a full circle type story or am I going to start in one place and end in a completely different place? And then it's, you know, taking 10, 15 minutes and trying to figure out what's the most important things. What do I really think people should know, which would then go at the top. And then 
I have like arrows that I use on like a sheet of paper. Like this is where I want it to go. This, 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 it's like a, a bit of a puzzle. And then you, you get to writing and, and um, by that point you've done your interviews and you've, you've gotten all the facts that you need. So that would be how I do it now. Like I'm going to be writing today about the draft and that's, that's yeah. how I'm going to do it. Like I'll, I'll do all the avail of uh, interviews with the, with the prospects and the GM and then, and then kind of figure out if we're starting, if we're starting about the Flames first round pick, are we going to end with talking about that first round pick or are we going to start with, Hey, they had Hampton and Lindholm that they might not, might or might not have dealt today. Like you're figuring out what, what fans like you are, are, are really wanting to understand. And then you put that at the very top and then you kind of go down. Okay. What's the, what's the beef? What's kind of the, the stuff that you want to add context to, and then something I'm trying to be a lot more careful of now is just yeah. making like like the framing of stuff. Like, you know, I have my opinions about how uh, the Flames do business or other teams, but um, I I and I get to say those opinions on occasion. But for these types of stories, it really is kind of what um, you know what the most important details are. This is a very newsy day. It's about uh, a potential franchise altering weekend for the Flames that so far as they've they've dealt only one player. So uh you know you're you're trying to make sure that you're being fair you're being um you can inject your opinion analysis but doing so in sort of a respectful manner and you know i i grew up wanting to be a newspaper writer so i love like adjectives and adverbs yeah. and dressing it up and i mean mm-hmm. that that doesn't work all the time for yeah. tsn for obvious reasons right like the way people consume content is different so sometimes i try to get fancy with the writing but for the most part it's a little more tame than before whereas with the new york times they had a lot more kind of room for that because they are written first publication but yeah man you figure out what's what the top things that you want readers to understand are you put those at the very top of your story and then it's about those story maps and figuring out if it's a circle or a line and then and then you know what just uh the grammar checks are super important and tsn's got editors and whatnot but you try and make their job as pain-free as possible and then it comes out usually uh a few minutes later so Awesome. And and with that, I know you you go on TV as well. Um, these days, I always see you with Jay Onright and obviously your hits pre-post game for Flames and, and the Stampeders. But <clears throat> I know what was the transition like for you going from being primarily print and, and written to being on TV? I, I think I saw somewhere that you did vocal and tongue exercises for TV. Just maybe <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, that transition for you. Yeah, I mean it's tricky, right? Like it's it's not it's not sort of a um a light switch and oh you're you're made for TV. Like it's it's always going to be um something that you have to work at. I think it's like a muscle where you always have to be exercising it. It's in, um it's it's uh it's different for sure. Like TV, live TV is obviously you know, you're doing your job in front of 100 200 plus thousand people in the moment and that can be intimidating and i think it was for me um so i got this job in november 2020 so back then and for probably my first year i was really focused on memorizing my scripts and probably doing so to to a a really unhealthy degree where you have your your scripts that you're going to say on tv and i was memorizing even my inflection points like what words i would emphasize and when and i think the the drawback to that is to viewers like you, Alex, that maybe just doesn't look natural. I think at times I looked a little bit stiff and you're like, instead of telling a story, you're trying to mine your brain for, you know, (laughs) what word do I have to emphasize? And it just, you know, it it wasn't, it was like a 
not a great approach. It was, yeah. there was a lot of hard work there, but it just for TV, I mean, I think people just want to trust what you're saying. They maybe want to be entertained a little bit. They want to feel comfortable. It's all, maybe not like telling a story at a bar, but it's kind of in that ballpark, I think. So mm -hmm. that was my initial approach. And then um, now it's a lot more kind of, okay, here are the facts and how do I, you know, how do I present them? You know, it's just about having a conversation. Maybe it's, it's at a higher level and cadence than what we're talking about right now, but uh, it, it, it's a lot less memorization for me now. It's a lot okay. more uh, laid back. It's a lot more, um, you know, like it's, yeah. it's just a lot, not fun, but like you're, you're not memorizing. You feel more comfortable at this point. You feel like you've got a PhD level <laughs> education on the flames yeah. and the organization. So it's not like you're, you're trying to talk about something you don't know about. So it took time to get there. And I think for me, it always will be something I work on consciously, like the tongue exercises and, enunciating and, and making sure your words are coming out crisp and clean but ultimately i think it's about being natural being yourself being you know unapologetically yourself as like matthew shinetti tells me often yeah. and um at times i think before when i started my career it was here at tsn it was a lot more either trying to be the ultimate most perfect version of myself and no ums or ahs or anything like that or i was trying to be someone else because we all have that version of what a broadcaster should look and sound like but i think that's a little bit antiquated so I think now I'm in a lot better sort of a process phase than I was when I got here, but it's always going to be something you have to work on. Right. So it's fun, but it's definitely, it, it takes work. It takes practice and it, it takes, um, you know, honestly looking at yourself or having colleagues honestly assess you and be like, um, yeah, but it's been good so far. And I, you know, it's only going to get better. And honestly, people like Jay have been so great because they'll, you know, like he's been awesome to work with. And even James Duffy, like, like there's a lot of good people at TSN that helped me out. So. No, that's interesting because I know when I when I had Matthew on a couple months ago, he talked about that transition from print to being on TV. And yeah, he obviously had a, a big uh, kind of screw up at the time. And I think that actually mm -hmm. kind of helped him. But it, it's interesting when you don't think about going into TV and you're a writer going into then. Yeah. Doing, yeah. doing so many TV hits. So I think that's interesting that you guys had a kind of similar way of approaching it. And I want to ask you, go a little bit back because you mentioned how today on the draft you're going to be talking to the the draftees for the flames i know you tweeted about how you've talked to craig conroy a couple times for you how do you develop those relationships with players and, and the organization but also adhere to somewhat of a journalistic standard and kind of not falling into that access journalism to mm -hmm. be fair and, and to kind of give a, a fair assessment of what's going on and then the players themselves uh, it's a tricky line, right? Alex, especially coming off a season where nothing really went the Flames way. Um, the players were unhappy. The coach was unhappy. The manager left. Like there's a lot, right? So there's a good test there. Um, I think you, you know, you have to really be, uh, like, yeah, like TSN has, um, analysts like Craig Button and, and, you know, Jamie McClennan and Frankie Corrado for, a reason because those guys have been in the game a really long time and those guys are sort of they they can give their opinions in a way that um uh is is really different so you sort of leave that to them like i know i was on sports center yesterday the day before about the Tafoli trade yeah. i was a little bit surprised that the producers called me up about that but they're like hey you sound passionate so yeah. you want to come on but um i think like you have to tweet or you have to do it in in sort of a diplomatic way like i, I used to be 
and I was in my earlier 20s, like a, a lot more combative and a lot more hot headed. So I mean, I'm very thankful I didn't get my job here back then. But it's about being fair and being, um, you know, really fact driven with your analysis and your opinions. Um, and it's, you know, I think for like the players read everything, they they understand everything that's, that's being said about you. I've had guys playfully chirp me about questions I asked Daryl during pressers. Like, so I think I think in in this case, it's about it's about kind of making sure your opinions are are backed up by solid facts that are not cherry picked. Like they're just you know, here's what I think and here's why I think it. Um, and then it's also it's about showing up the next day. Like if you write something or tweet something critical, it's about having a face to face conversation with those people and making sure that if they have something they want to air uh, or get off their chest, that they can do so. And I've had conversations like that and they've all been really respectful and it's sort of um, no hard feelings type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think the flames do a good job of recognizing that media plays a big role in how they're, how they're team is perceived and how they, you know, potential, you know, more publicity for the organization means more ticket sales, more revenue. And you'd be surprised how a lot of teams just don't see it that way. So the flames are a good organization in that regard. Um, so yeah, you know, you combine all of that, making sure that you're showing up to the rink. If you, if you've written or said something that maybe someone doesn't like, uh, and then, and then just maintaining sort of an open and honest conversation about, Hey, I were to call up the GM and say off the record, like, can you tell me X, Y, Z and respecting that confidentiality. Um, if I have a scoop or something that could be controversial, just, you know, making sure I'm pursuing it with my editors at TSN, I've got a good team behind me and making sure that we're going about it the responsible way. Um, but yeah, I think we all kind of know that we need one another in this field and the flames are generally a pretty good organization to deal with. It's just making sure that you're, you're doing your job respectfully and not getting too emotional when you are giving your opinion and showing up the next day and, and, um, making sure that, you know, you're respecting confidentiality and things like that are off the record conversations. And, and before we, we go to the flames themselves, like, I, I want to ask you a little bit about being someone of obviously of color and in a game of hockey Mm -hmm. that there isn't a lot of diversity, although it is growing, of course, um, especially in the Calgary market as well with Julian McKenzie and, and others. But, and I, I also know you broke the, the, the story of the creation of the hockey diversity Alliance. So maybe just talk about where you maybe see diversity in, in hockey media and hockey itself and, and what kind of where you see it at the current state and maybe what optimism or, or pessimism you have going forward. Yeah, I mean, Julian, it's been awesome to have him here. I went to school with him, and he's one of my best friends. Um, so it's been great to have him. Uh, in terms of diversity, I think it's getting better. I think you see people, not necessarily accredited journalists, but really important people in the hockey media ecosystem, like like you know Avery Lewis-McDougal or TikTok yeah. Omar or like Samantha, who hosts the, the broadcast, I think. or There's, there's a many, many other names I could say. Uh, like Chanel from Seattle, like the Seattle Kraken, um, or she wants to work for the Seattle Kraken. Like there are a lot of important voices in this sport that um, maybe aren't voting for the NHL awards or on TV, but are hugely critical in, in this landscape. And I think that that's growing. Like even, even here in Calgary, like one of the, I think Kareem Kurji is his name. I, I forget the the website off the top of my head, but he's done really good work. And he and I have DM. I think it's getting better. Um, I, I think hockey needs that. I think the sport still has perceptions about uh, who can play or who's welcome or yeah. things like that. Um, 
I, I, I think there's room to grow, but I'm generally pretty, pretty optimistic. I think even, you know, journalists are asking harder hitting questions about those challenges and issues than maybe they were a handful of years ago, which is, which is good. I think the league is being held to account a lot more, but there's still room to grow. And I think the area for room to grow, Alex, is like the socioeconomic element. Like yeah. it's tough to get these jobs. It's, you know, I, I worked full time in PR to fund my journalism habit. Um, I, I think we have to, you, you know, race and, and gender is is important and also socioeconomic uh, opportunities and making sure that, you know, kids that go to you know public schools or don't have a ton of family money can can find their way to sports journalism jobs because it, it is really tough. Like a lot of the times people might be living at home like I didn't have that option so like I was living basically you know in Quebec and my family was in Alberta and um I think it's important to to the next step is making sure that there are avenues where kids that come from families that just don't have a ton of money also have access to these opportunities and and chances to interview players or or kind of work their way into sports media so uh that's where I see the the evolution that should take place like whether it's scholarship programs or, yeah. or, you know, bursaries, or maybe you have a contest that, you know, best essay wins a, a, a all-inclusive trip to cover a, a Flames game. Like, I don't know how you do it, but yeah. um, that's the next step for me. I'm generally optimistic about, like, I think the gender and race element has improved, but there's a lot of runways still we have to do. And that's, you know, more, more listening sessions and um, making sure that, you know, stories are being told and, making you know being aware of kind of the DEI diversity equity inclusion stats and how those can be improved but socioeconomically too we have to make sure that there are avenues for people of all races that maybe just don't have the family money to to get these jobs and that's kind of the next step I think no it, it's interesting because I know Julian got a I had him on the show and he got a I don't a bursary or something he won a scholarship and I I think he said that it really helped him kind of on his journey mm-hmm. to where he is today at the athletic yeah. and SDPN and, and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, as best as I can, I want to transition from that to the flames. Yeah. And uh, yeah. obviously um, you talked, I want to first talk about Toffoli because that's the big name that just got traded and you were surprised about him asking out. I know you wrote and, and, and tweeted about it as well as the return that they got maybe. Tell us a little bit about what you think make up the whole situation and, and Toffoli wanting out and, and the return that the Flames got. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that for the past couple of days. I, like, I, I I think the Flames clearly had mm-hmm. sort of, they have to get Lindholm. Um, and then they'll they'll kind of work their way down. Clearly, Toffoli felt like he, um, he was, you know, he didn't like the pecking order. Uh I think it's a tricky line because if Lindholm, like Lindholm to me is still up in the air as to whether he's going to stay or not. I think Toffoli legitimately did want to stay here long-term. I don't know if he would, that would have resulted in a haircut on the overall contract, but you know, to me, it, it, it seems like there's a little bit of a lapse in communication between the flames and Toffoli and there were hard feelings from Toffoli's end. So I, I look at that and I, I know that he requested a deal, but I, I wonder if you, they clearly liked Yegor Sharangovich, but Sharangovich wasn't going to crack the top six or maybe even top eight in New Jersey. So I wonder if you could have dealt for him in a separate deal and kind of yeah. seen what else was out there for Toffoli, if that would have been an option. Mm-hmm. Like 
I know Toffoli's not fast. He's 31. He, but he's got an extremely manageable cap hit. Um, he's coming off a career season. I think he's closer to a first-line player than a lot of other people do. And even if he is a second-line player, Alex, like he kills penalties. He's on the power play. He's a weapon. He's um, got Stanley Cup pedigree. He's looked at as like captain material by a lot of people in the league. So I was a little bit surprised, but um, again, you know, you look at last night in the NHL draft and we thought, I'm sure that there was going to be a lot more action yeah. and there literally yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I just, I wonder if they could have gotten more than sort of a, a gamble in Sharangovich and a third round pick. But, but uh, beyond that, I mean, there, challenge, there were a lot of challenges here this season, Alex. Like I think Daryl really did impact up to down how things function at the saddle dome um he was he was sort of a micromanager here i think he he really had a lot bigger impact than a lot of people realize and you know they've turned over a fresh leaf i think they have to figure out some some dressing room chemistry and how they get that back on track but uh it's you know you could write a book about what's gone on here recently and i think um you know now the question is lindholm and you know do you do you pay him upwards of 70 million? Like, like how does that work? He's your number one center that you've coveted for a long time, but it's, it, there's so many moving balls and it's, it's going to be, it's, it's still unclear to me whether they're going to be at the same level next season or whether they're going to, they're going to take a step back. I think I, I if they deal half and that would probably tell us more than anything, but, okay. but you know, Craig Conroy's in a tough spot too, where, where he's inherited a really, like there are probably few, more challenging situations yeah. for a first time GM, right? So you feel for him too. So Yeah, and with with Backland reportedly, I don't know if he's technically asked out, but he seems to be probably on the move. I know you tweeted about Dan Vladar. Like mm-hmm. what and there hasn't really other than Tofoli, there hasn't been anything that seems to be on the precipice for the Flames. So what what do you think happens? Do you think they trade all these players that seemingly want to be out with a year left on their contract kind of what, what do you think happens going forward and yeah uh i mean i think i i think they in hindsight i wonder if they think they should have given lindholm a deadline um i wonder if if that was something that maybe maybe has has prevented all of this from happening because yeah. he's been so on the fence uh, I know, I know Hanfin really likes Calgary as a city. I think there was more animosity between Tafoli and the organization, but like I've talked to Hanfin a lot and he's told me a lot that he really enjoys Calgary. It's just, he, he kind of wants to be closer to home um, after his, this deal expires uh, with, with, with Ladar. I, I mean, I, I was thinking they would flip him today actually for a pick, but that hasn't happened as far as I know. Um, I think there's a good chance that they go into training camp with these questions. I think there's a good chance that, wow. you know, Craig, Craig, uh, Conroy, you know, because free agency tends to, you know, there's already a lack of money in the system right now. And then free agency tends to mean that there's less cap space around the league. I, I kind of wonder if they go into training camp with, with Hanifin and, and Lindholm uh, in, in, in the final years of their deal. And then they figure, they try and figure out, sort of a timeline to move them during the season. Of course, the results might dictate a lot of that too. Vladar is obviously the easier deal to move. 2.2 million is, is a lot easier to shed than, um, than the other players. But, you know, these deals were tough to make. And I even said in like an Instagram story of like a couple of weeks ago, like I figured they'd made, make one deal, but Craig Conroy is the first time GM. These are complicated deals to execute and there's not a ton of money in the system. So 
Um, to me that, you know, you add all of that up and I think there's a, there's a decent chance they go into training camp, you know, and we have to ask the players about their futures like we did with Gaudreau last season. But I think, you know, because, because free agency is coming up and there's a chance with the lack of high quality players on the market that they get a deal done. But I, I think, you know, at the very least, at least one of Hannafin or Langholm will, will come to training camp on that one year okay. left situation. And, there's a decent chance that both of them are because, you know, who's making trades right now? I mean, we've clearly Nobody. seen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, with that, how much do you think of the players seemingly wanting to, I mean, they're not directly asking for trades in some cases, but basically saying like what Kachuk said is I'm gone in a year. Um, mm-hmm. How much of a windfall is all of this, this summer, do you think from what happened last summer with Kachuk and Goudreau uh, leaving the organization? Uh, I know last season's team was really, really tight, like, like extremely close off the ice. Um, excuse me. They spent a lot of time away from the brink with each other. This year's team was not, um, I, I think for different reasons, like you look at Backland, Alex and 34, uh, wants to win a Stanley cup. He's in a pretty different spot than Kachuk who, uh, who at one, like yeah, I think Kachuk told Spit and Chicklets that he wanted to sign a longer term deal, but True Living basically told him about the bridge deal. That was the route they were going to take. I think a lot of these players like Calgary as a city, and I don't think they mind playing in the dome. I, I think the negativity around the organization and around the team this season, emanating from the head coach, was a huge challenge. Like a guy jokingly told me that this season took five decades off of his life. Uh, <laughs> So, Holy you know, wow. that kind of tells you a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the the negativity, um, like, was, was a big factor. Backlund, I think, had a tough relationship with Daryl. I don't think uh, – I think other players were in a similar boat. Um, if you look at – like, like I, I don't know if there's one reason, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I think each player has different kind of kind of rationales for making their call to fully clearly want to stay here, but he felt a little bit – insulted by the pecking order mm-hmm. um Lindholm I think is at least open to the idea of sticking around Calgary it's just you know the contract and is he is he open enough to maybe taking a haircut on that deal we're not sure um I know Hanson really liked Calgary but he wanted to get closer to his family Gaudreau I think really really liked Calgary and would have been really content staying here so there are different reasons but I think they do have to do sort of a deep dive into what what they can do better. And I'm talking about, you know, the salad dome is what it is and you're not going to be there forever, but they do probably, they should probably look into to certain renovations or making, making things better for players that come there every day. And that involves spending money. But like Mackenzie Weger said at the year end presser, like he, you know, like, he, like this maybe isn't quite the major league facility. A lot of players are used yeah. to. So even though you're only there for another handful of years, potentially like, does the owner have to invest more in that facility? Do they have to include more player amenities and how they treat players and their families? Like, do they, do they have to do more team building retreats and BAMP? Like, like, I don't know. Right. But yeah. I think that's where they kind of have to, they have to do an honest deep dive into, into how they can improve the culture and experience of being a Calgary flame. But I think that there are enough kind of different nuances with each player wanting out that there's not one universal thing. And you gotta remember too, Alex, like, Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Blake Coleman, like Erica Branson, I think like those those guys have gen- generally did enjoy their time here with the organization. So 
it's not fully universal, but the organization does have to ask itself some questions and do they have to invest more in the dome or, or kind of team building, culture building type stuff. What, what do you make of the new duo? You mentioned Conroy, Conroy sorry, of, of, of just the, the decisions he has to make this summer, but also they have a new coach, Ryan Huska. Like, what do you make of the new coach? What do you think he might bring? And maybe same with Conroy. We've seen a little bit of his work so far, but just make, what do you make of those two at the helm compared to Brad Living and uh, Daryl Sutter? I think it's a fresh start. Um, Trilliving was great to deal with, by and large. Even Cyra, I had good interactions with him off camera, but clearly it, it was like they had to get rid of him. Um, I think given where the organization is, I, I understand fans maybe, you know, wanting an outside hire, but I think they did a good job in keeping two people that really are loyal to the organization and Conroy and Huska. Uh, I'm willing to bet that Huska, if he didn't get this job, would have been a really hot candidate next summer for the next coaching cycle. Um, with Conroy, I mean, I'm curious how he'll put his stamp on things differently than than um, than Trilliving. The thing is, I, I think I think at times Calgary's ownership has been really tough to manage for for managers, and Conroy having played here and and gone up through the management ranks here, I think it's important that the players had a really relatable voice to deal with, with him. And, um, you know, that, that he's, he's a really extroverted and, and sort of bubbly and energetic guy. And I think that can really be a good asset for, for potential free agents or someone that is, is thinking of signing here. And I think Craig Conroy's paid his dues. He's literally traveled the world scouting for this organization. And I think he'll be a really, really good GM here. He's learning on the fly right now type of thing. And with Huska, you know, on the ice, I think he'll be he'll be a lot more offense focused. He's a really good tactician. I think players in the room really liked and respected him, and a lot of them were happy to see him get this job. Um, and then as a communicator, I think Huska is really, you know, fans are going to learn a lot more about the team. They're going to, you know, maybe it makes less sports center top ten reels <laughs> for us, which is yeah. maybe a little downside. But like Huska's answers are honest and insightful and. Um, he, he, I think is someone that prefers to pump up his players as opposed to tear them down. And I think tactically, they're going to look really different next season and in press conferences and how fans learn about the team, it'll be really, really different as well. And I think both will be really big improvements. And I'd be remiss if I I didn't ask a little about the the draft and, uh, in terms of who they picked, obviously yesterday they picked Samuel Honsik of the Vancouver Giants. Um, and today they picked Etienne Mohain in the second round, was, uh, as well as a bunch of other players. Maybe just talk about how you th- think the Flames did in the draft um, and, and just maybe how you uh, see uh, those players maybe going forward, at least at the top of the draft. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Hanzig, I don't think we're going to see him, you know, in a, in a Flames uniform or anything anytime soon, but a big, powerful winger that's speedy, like that That seems like it, it tracks well and you're kind of projecting a couple of years down the line you know, maybe he's paired with Peltier or, you know, they've got a stable of some young, interesting forwards and Coronado and Zeri. So Hansen could be, could be interesting. The fact that he's got size too is really, really intriguing. And unfortunately, Vancouver, I don't think the Vancouver Giants come to Calgary this, this season. So it would have been great to see him in person, but um, thinking about it a couple of years down the line, I don't think he's, it doesn't sound like he's got high, high end skill, but if he can be a middle six, potentially second line, uh, second line winger that could that could bode really well and you know I think they they are missing sort of that elite elite skill in in their pipeline but you tend not to get that unless you're drafting really high or you get a good throw in the middle rounds but 
the kid, and I forgot his name, but he led the BCHL rookies in goals, assists, and points. He's from Russia, but that's a really intriguing pick to me. I forgot his name, but he's committed to UMass, and that seems like a really, really interesting bet for them in the middle in the middle of the draft, and they don't need him to be ready for a couple of years, but that is a really intriguing pick to me. But, you know, it's it's good that they – you know, they kept their picks. They they added the one from New Jersey, and now it's about replenishing a prospect cupboard that I think at times was kind of rated for win now type of solutions. And yeah. the fact that they got Hanzik, who's really highly rated, and I think I saw someone had him in in ten on ten as their pick. The the kid from Winnipeg that, that Winnipeg drafted, the Scholastic yeah. Player of the Year, that would have been really intriguing too. But you know, I think the Flames have done decently. They haven't traded their picks, and they've replenished a, a prospect pipeline that had taking a few hits recently so um with that obviously i know for next year a lot of flame fan, flames fans are, are interested in dustin wolf obviously been amazing in the ahl do you think you you mentioned vladar maybe being out is that do you think dustin wolf will be a full-time nhl or how likely is it that he's at least part of a tandem or the backup uh next year for the flames i think it's more likely than not with the wranglers over here it, it does leave open the possibility they have him in the a and then they shell him back and forth between games like uh, i don't know if i i i just i think he's done so much at that level that you have to you have to give him that that backup role i i think the flames have taken some hits for how they've developed prospects in recent years and we can point to the various sound clips um from Sutter recently but so you have to you have to show your young players that if they perform in the American League, there there's a route for them to get to the NHL. And what's the guy got left to prove down there? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, goalie of the year, MVP. Like, where are you? What more are you asking of him? Uh, so I, I think he's earned it, and I think the Flames have some perception challenges they're working to overcome with how young players are developed and given opportunities. And you know, this is sort of the first test for me on that one. Like, such a good goalie prospect and. You have to you have to figure out a way to get him onto the roster. Maybe it's carrying three goalies initially while you work on a solution. But I think you have to you have to show Wolf that he's earned NHL minutes and meaningful minutes for a full season. Before before I let you go, just what do you think a good uh, season would be for the Flames? Obviously, there's a lot going on, so we don't know the specifics. But what do you think if you're Craig Conroy and you can look back? At like right now and in, in 2024 at the end of the season, what would it be? Would it squeaking be squeaking into the playoffs? Would it be maybe being competitive? Like what what would be a successful season for the Flames next year? I think I think it's getting back to the playoffs, no matter how you do it. And I think right now that's a really big question because we don't know what the composition of the team looks like. But it's it's getting back in whether it's eight or one, however it is, a wild card spot or or leading the Pacific. It's getting back in. That would be a huge leap. And then beyond that, I think Alex, it's you know making sure that Jonathan Hubert is the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, for most of the season, it's it's making sure that Jacob Peltier develops and gets meaningful minutes. It's it's having a cohesive off ice uh, vibe to the organization and to the team. It's it's um, making sure Nazem Kadri is a really, really impactful center that that is fully competitive from game one to game eighty-two. It's it's making sure that any free agents you do acquire, and I don't think they'll be that active uh, on July the first, but making sure those free agents 
you know, you're integrating them well into the team and, and making that process as smooth as possible. It's frankly, uh, it's, it's engaging your fan base. That's maybe fallen off a little bit. It's, it's creating memorable moments at the saddle dome and, you know, the off on ice success is one thing. And, and if they do make the playoffs, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think that really will constitute a solid, solid season. And I know Flames fans are sick of that because that's kind of been their story for a long time. But beyond that, it's it's sort of making sure the off-ice elements are working, team building, cohesive dressing room. And and then with certain individual players, Jacob Peltier, him, him having a solid, solid campaign where he's being coached up. And Jonathan Huber is really, really important to this group. So making sure that he is the best, most confident version of himself. And if you add all of that up, if you can get 80% of those goals, I would say that's a, a successful season. Well, uh, thank you so much, Salem, for for taking the time and, and coming on. I just want to give you the floor. Is there anything, obviously, with the draft today? So, what what should people kind of look forward from you coming up at uh, TSN? Uh I mean, I've got an article I got to write today, uh, <laughs> and then just, I mean, maybe some more creative things I'm working on, um, and uh, you know, Stampeder stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just beyond that, I know lots of aspiring journalists watch this. And I know you, you know, you've seen some job cuts, but I think it's important to go for your dreams and don't get discouraged. And I think, um, you know, there's opportunities in this field. It may sound daunting and uphill, but there are ways to wiggle in and build a nice career and um, make sure you take care of your mental health and well-being first and foremost. But I know it seems pessimistic or bleak at times, but life's short and dreams are important to chase just make sure you're taking care of your mental health and well-being first and don't get too down by recent news because you know we need we need great storytellers and great young people in our field so well uh, i'll definitely take you up on that and, and do my best and thanks so much for, <laughs> for taking the time and, and doing this especially as I, I said a couple times just on such a busy day so i really really appreciate it and i'll definitely be checking out all your stuff at tsn and uh have a have a great draft day or rest of draft day and a great uh, uh summer and july 1st is only a couple days away so uh, thanks so much for doing this and uh yeah thanks so much yeah talk to you soon thanks a lot for having me